Isn't it wonderful to spend time together talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus and praying in the name of Jesus? It's absolutely my favorite time of the week, and I know that for so many of us, it is our favorite time of the week to sing and to talk and to pray and to think about Jesus and what he has done for us. But it's really easy to talk about Jesus here, right? It's really easy to talk about Jesus on a Sunday morning surrounded by other Christians, especially when you're in a church building. But, but when we go out there, right? Out there, wherever there is, and whenever that is, on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, whether we're at school or we're in our neighborhood or we're at work or we're with family sometimes, then people become rather uncomfortable with us talking about Jesus, right? A lot of people would rather we just kind of keep our faith to ourselves, keep that in your house or keep that at your church building or keep that in your heart or keep that in your mind. It's okay if you do good stuff, like go do good stuff, feed hungry people, clothe people that need clothing, you know, put roofs over people's houses. That's all good. That's all fine. But don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about your faith. That makes people uncomfortable. And I'm not surprised, none of us are surprised, that people who don't believe in Jesus, people that, that don't want to follow Jesus, nobody's really surprised that they don't want us to talk about Jesus. That doesn't bother me or surprise me that unbelieving people don't want us to talk about Jesus. But what is surprising is that I'm sometimes uncomfortable talking about Jesus. What surprises me and bothers me is that we sometimes are uncomfortable talking about Jesus. Maybe we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Maybe we're just nervous. Maybe we're anxious. Maybe we don't know what to say. We don't know how to start a conversation that we just drop words of faith and we drop Jesus' name in the middle of a conversation and it seems kind of awkward. Maybe Maybe we've seen some people that are kind of overzealous evangelists, you know what I'm talking about? And it's just kind of cringy, and we don't want to be like that person, and so it just kind of makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to be put in the same category. In fact, I read a statistic recently that said that almost half, almost half of millennials who consider themselves practicing Christians, so 48% of practicing Christian millennials think that it is wrong, wrong, unethical to try to get someone else to change their religion to Christianity. This is why what we're talking about this month is so incredibly relevant. Because for most of us, it's at best an uncomfortable thing to do. It's an uncomfortable thing to do to talk about our faith specifically in Jesus. It's one thing to kind of talk about God in a generic sense because most of the time you won't really offend anybody because I don't really know what God you're talking about. And so we could talk about God in a real generic sense. But when we start talking about Jesus specifically, 
Not only do people in the world get uncomfortable, a lot of times people in the church get uncomfortable. A lot of times I get uncomfortable. A lot of times you get uncomfortable. But we need to talk about the fact that Christian people, followers of Jesus, need to be talking about Jesus. We need to be talking about Jesus. We need to be saying and speaking the name of Jesus. This is incredibly important. If we are going to be Jesus followers, then we have to be people who are talking about Jesus. And the first story we're going to talk about takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. In the temple in Jerusalem, that's where the Christian people, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem in the first century, where they went every single day to worship and to pray. And one of the times that they would go up to the temple was during the regular times of prayer at the temple. And so they would go up there to worship and pray and to talk about Jesus in the courts of the temple. And one of the times that they would go up was three o'clock in the afternoon. And so one afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John are on their way up to the temple. They're going through what's called, the nickname apparently was the beautiful gate. And so they're on their way up to the temple as they had done many times before. And they're walking up the steps to the beautiful gate. And there was a man there, a man who was a beggar, a man who had never walked a single step in his entire life. He never felt the ground beneath his feet. He never took a single step. In fact, to get to the temple, he had to be carried to the temple to to lay at that beautiful gate. And every day as people would walk by, he would beg money from them. And I'm assuming as I read the story that he was ashamed Ashamed of his situation, ashamed of his poverty, ashamed of his disability, ashamed of what people thought about him, ashamed of people about what people said about him. I imagine that when he saw people coming up the steps, the way he saw them was he probably saw their feet, maybe their legs, because I imagine his head was hung low. His head was low and his hand was high, and he would see people coming up the steps, and he would say, please, please help me. Please, can you spare a little? Can you help me out? And that's what he did every day, day after day, and and this day, as Peter and John are walking up the steps, as they're on their way into the beautiful gate, he sees them, or he sees part of them coming up, but again, I imagine his head is low, and his hand is high, and Peter and John, as they're walking up, they, they see him, And they they look at him, and I imagine they have compassion on him. They love him. And Peter looks at this beggar whose, whose head is low and his hand is high, and he says, look at us. Look at us. Look at us. And I imagine that that man was shocked. Don't you imagine that somebody's talking to me? Oh, I'm sure plenty of people tossed some change into his hands as they walked by, but someone was talking to him and saying, look at us. Let me see your face. Look up here. And as he he raises his eyes up to look at Peter and John, thinking that, of course, they're going to give him something, Peter says to him, I don't have any silver, 
and I don't have any gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he reaches down and he grabs his hand and he lifts him up. And as he lifts him up, the man's feet become strong. For the first time in his, in his entire life, his ankles become strong. And for the first time, he begins to take one Step. The first time in his whole life, he takes a step. And then he takes a second and a third and a fourth step after step. And then he's so excited that he begins to not just walk, but to, to leap, to skip and to jump. And not just to walk and leap and skip and jump, but to shout and to praise God. He's walking for the first time in his entire life. God has healed him. And people, of course, are shocked and amazed that they're like, I, I know that guy. I've seen that guy. That's the guy that lays outside the, the beautiful gate. He's walking and he's jumping and he's praising God. Something is going on here. And so they gather around to investigate what is going on. Now, before we go any further in the story, don't miss, don't miss. This is just so simple. It's just so right there that, that we could kind of just skip over it. But, but at the very least, let's acknowledge that Peter did a good deed. Peter did a good deed. Peter changed someone's life. Peter did something compassionate. Peter did something merciful. Peter did something good. And you say, well... Well, that's great for him, right? I mean, Peter could raise somebody up. He could heal somebody. He could perform this miracle. I can't, I can't do that. And you're right. You can't do that. You're not going to give somebody the ability to walk. But you can do good deeds. You can do good deeds. You can love people. You could call someone on the phone. You could, at the very least, send somebody a card or a text message. You could attend the funeral of someone who lost a loved one. You could visit someone in the hospital. You could take someone food. You can invite someone to your home. You could find somebody that's struggling with a bill and who can't pay their bills, and you could pay that bill for them. You could bring them a whole bunch of groceries. You can do good deeds for people. And, and here's what we can do. We can do it the way that Peter did it, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that you may not be able to give somebody the ability to walk, but you can do good. And when you do good, you can speak the name of Jesus. At the very least, can we do that? Can we do good deeds and then, and then tell people, hey, after everything Jesus has done for me, it's the least I can do to do this thing for you? What if we were to just say things like that? What if we were to get in the habit of saying things like that? Doing good, finding people in need, because there are people all around us with their head hung low and their hand held high. There are people all around us who are ashamed of their situation. They're ashamed of what they've done, 
They're ashamed of where they've been. They're ashamed of the situation they found themselves sometimes with no fault of their own. They're ashamed of what people think of them. They're ashamed of what people say of them. Their head is low and their hand is high and they're saying sometimes with words and sometimes just with their actions, can you please help me? And the very least we can do is do some good deed for them and do it in the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Tell them, tell them, Jesus has done so much for me. This is the least I can do to do this good deed for someone else. Because you never know where that conversation will lead. I'm not saying you have to invite him to church. I'm not saying you say, okay, well, here, I've got this Bible study plan we're going to work through right now. I'm not saying any of that. Just do a good deed and do it in the name of Jesus. Tell them that you're doing it because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has blessed me. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has changed me. And because Jesus has done so much for me, that's why I want to do something good for you. And it may very well lead to something else. If we look at this story, we can see how it led to even more conversation. Look at Acts chapter 3 and verse 12. After the man is healed and the people gather around and say, what in the world? What in the world is going on here? How has this happened? Acts 3 and verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, here's an important point, isn't it? He says, why why do you look at us like we did this? It wasn't because of our power or our piety. It's not because we're really religious or really good or really awesome or really powerful that this man can walk. It's not us that deserves the credit. Now, now here's an important point. If we don't say anything about Jesus, then people are going to implicitly give us the credit, aren't they? And sometimes we're satisfied with just letting them think it was us. But Peter says, don't don't give us the credit. It's not because of our power or piety. Don't, Don't give me the credit. Don't give John the credit. The credit goes to Jesus. We've got to be very careful that through our silence, we aren't implying that it's because of us. I'm just a really good person. I'm just a really nice person. When you go do something good, when you bless someone's life, when you change someone's life, when you help them, when their head is low and their hand is high, and you give them something, and you bless them in some way, they're going to automatically, by default, give the credit to you. And this is where you get the opportunity to shift the credit to Jesus and say, it's not me, it's him. Jesus is still working through his people to do awesome things, isn't he? The people in this room right now are evidence of that truth. Every person watching online is evidence of that truth, that Jesus is still doing amazing things. He's done amazing things for you, hasn't he? He's changed you. He's saved you. He's blessed you. He is still doing amazing things. Let's give him the credit. Because it's really easy, isn't it? To just let people think we're just nice people. I'm not. 
I'm not just naturally a nice person. Any good that I may happen to do is by the grace of God. Any good that I, I happen to do is because the Spirit's doing something in me. Any good that I happen to do, it's because Jesus is working in me, sometimes in spite of me. How about you? And so it's a lie to rob Jesus of the glory. It's a, a lie to rob Jesus of the credit. It's a lie to let someone think, well, Wes is just a nice guy. That's not the truth. The truth is Jesus is amazing. Jesus is doing amazing things. And so when you do something good for someone, don't let them think it's because of your power or your piety that that good deed has been done. Give credit where credit is due. Peter goes on to say, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you, this phrase, so powerful. And you killed the author of life. Wow. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 16. And his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. See, Peter says, this amazing thing that you see, this transformation that you see, I don't, I don't deserve any credit. Jesus deserves all the credit. And what if, what if we were to take that same approach with everything what if we were to take that same approach to say, if you see any good, if you see anything amazing, if you see anything worthy of praise, if you see anything worthy of applause, don't give me the credit. Give it to Jesus because he's doing amazing things. As I look around at this room this morning, I see Jesus doing amazing things. Because if it weren't for Jesus, all of us would have our heads hung low and our hands held high, wouldn't we? If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? If it wasn't for Jesus, who would we be? If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? We certainly wouldn't be who we are now and where we are now and have what we have now and have the hope and the joy that we have now. So if there's anything good that anybody sees in us, give the credit to Jesus. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now here's where I want us to spend a minute. Because sometimes I think we fail to see that the miracles of Jesus and then the miracles that the apostles went on to perform, they are evidence 
of the kingdom of God. They're evidence that all of the promises that God made through the prophets, God made so many promises about what life was going to be like under the reign of the Messiah. That when the Messiah reigns, here, listen to how Isaiah puts it. This is Isaiah 35 and verse 5, New Living Translation. It says, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame, listen, the lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. God says, this is what it's going to be like when my kingdom comes into the world. This is what it's going to be like when the Messiah reigns. This is what it's going to be like when I restore all things. I'm going to restore all things. I'm going I'm to take the blind and I'm going to give them sight. I'm going to take the deaf and I'm going to allow them to hear. I'm going to take those who can't speak and they're going to sing for joy. I'm going to take those who can't walk and they're going to leap like a deer. And so the, the miracles of Jesus and the miracles of the apostles, they're, they're more than just like fireworks to say, hey, something cool is going on here. It's to say, this is exactly what God promised was going to happen. Not just for one or two or three or four or five, not just for a hundred people or a million people, but for all of his people. I will restore all the things I've promised to restore. And Peter says, that day is coming. And church, that day is still coming. And all of these good works that they did were evidence that that day where God restores all the things he's promised to restore is coming. Times of refreshing are coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is only going to stay in the heavens until the appointed time. But at some point, he's going to appear. And when he appears, he's going to bring times of refreshing He's going to restore all the things. That's good news, isn't it? And these miracles were a little foretaste of that. You see, this is what God does for his people. This is how God blesses his people. And church, that's what we do when we do good works for people. Because we understand that all suffering is either directly or indirectly tied to the fall, isn't it? Either directly or indirectly, it's tied to sin and death and brokenness. And so every hurting person, every person with their head hung low and their hand held high, they're suffering the consequences of a fallen and broken world. And so when we love them and when we bless them, when we do good works for them, when we put food in their stomach, when we put clothes on their back, when we put a roof over their head, we are saying we believe that someday God is going to restore all things and no one will be hungry anymore and no one will be thirsty anymore and no one will be blind anymore and no one will be deaf anymore and no one will be unable to walk. God is going to restore all things and if you want to participate in that, what does Peter say? He says, what? Repent, repent therefore and turn back. You can participate in the kingdom of heaven. And so church, sometimes we, we try to decide 
Like, what's more important, that we, we do good works or we share good news? Like, what's more important for the church to do, to clothe naked people, put roofs over the heads of homeless people, feed hungry people, bless hurting people, or, or to speak and preach truth? Which one is more important? That's what's known as a false dichotomy. It's not either or, it's both and. It's, it's yes, it's yes, we do both because we believe this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is changing people's lives. Jesus changed our lives and Jesus is continuing to change people's lives through us. This man that could not walk now could walk and run and leap and jump. And he was praising God for how he had changed his life. And Jesus says, I'm going to do this for all my people. And so through us, the Spirit of God continues to work to feed hungry people and to clothe naked people, to love hurting people to lift up and honor people who have lived their entire lives in shame. That when we do this, when we love people this way, we're giving them a foretaste of what's to come. That someday, someday God's kingdom is going to fill all creation and times of refreshing are going to come and God is going to restore all things. And Until then, he's working to do that in you and through you. And so when we bless people this way, we're giving them a foretaste of what's to come. And and it's attached to the message, if you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of this now and eternally, repent and turn back so that times of refreshing may come. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So Moses had promised at some point, God is going to raise up a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Peter says, Everything we hoped for, everything we anticipated, everything we were looking towards, it's all coming true through Jesus. He's the one. He's the one to whom Moses pointed. He's the one to whom all the prophets pointed. He's the one to whom everyone was pointing. And he's the one who will bring times of refreshing. It's through him that God will restore all things. It's through him that God is going to keep all of his promises. And if you listen to him and you repent of your sins and you give him your loyalty and you give him your allegiance, then, oh, you get to be a part of God's kingdom. But if you don't, what Moses promised, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Or verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets And of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter says, it's always been God's plan that through the seed of Abraham, he was going to bless all the nations of the world. And he's come to the Jewish people first. 
The Jewish people get the first right of refusal, as it was. And Jesus came to them first to say, I want to bless you, and then I want to go on and bless all the nations of the world. And this is the message. This is the message that came first to the people in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and now to us, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, here's the message that's come to us that the prophet Moses pointed to, that the one to whom all of the prophets pointed, that the one who will bring times of refreshing, that the one who will restore all things is Jesus, and that heaven is going to hold him until that appointed time. And if you want to be a part of what he's doing now and forever, repent and turn to him and listen to him. This is the message that has been shared with us, right? The message that has changed our lives. And this is the message that we have to go on and share with our neighbors. Our neighbors who have their heads held hung low and their hands held high. That live every day in shame and suffering and hurting and pain, confusion, wondering what's next and where should I go and who should I be and what should I do? Love them. Bless them. Do good works for them. But, but don't leave out the name of Jesus. Don't leave out the name of Jesus. Good deeds without good news robs Jesus of glory and our neighbors of hope. Good deeds are good. But good deeds without good news robs Jesus of glory and our neighbors of hope. I want our hungry neighbors to have food. I want our neighbors who need clothes on their back to have clothes on their back. I want our neighbors who are hurting to be healed. I want our neighbors who are lonely to have acceptance and family and community. But I don't just want that for them for a day or for a week, or for a month, or for a year, or even for a lifetime. I want that for them forever, don't you? I want our neighbors to experience the banquet feast of the Messiah. I want our neighbors to experience life forever. I want our, our neighbors to experience healing forever. I want them to experience hope, real hope. And I don't want to rob them of that. But if the church goes out into the world and we do all kinds of good deeds, but we do good deeds without good news, not only are we robbing Jesus of the glory, we're, we're robbing our neighbors of hope. What good is it to feed them for a day when we have the bread of life that can feed them for eternity? What good is it to give them light for a week or a month or a year when we have light for their eternity? Let's not rob them of that hope. Let's do good deeds and do good deeds attached to the good news of Jesus. Do good deeds and speak the name of Jesus. Again, that doesn't mean you have to invite everybody to, to church tomorrow. It doesn't mean that you have to sit down and have a Bible study with them immediately. It may just mean speaking the name of Jesus. When you do something good, when you do something kind, remind them that you're doing that because of what Jesus has done for you. Imagine, 
Imagine what that might do in your family. It might make some things some kind of awkward sometimes, I, I admit. It might make some things uncomfortable. It, it might even cause some people to distance themselves from you. But it might bring people closer to Jesus. You would never have been here and experienced what you've experienced unless someone had spoken the name of Jesus to you. And your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates will never experience what you've experienced or have the hope that you have unless someone speaks to them the name of Jesus. So imagine how your families might be transformed by your courage and boldness to just mention the name of Jesus when you have the opportunity. Imagine how your neighborhoods might be transformed if you speak the name of Jesus when you do good works. Imagine how if all of us, if all, there are hundreds of people in this church, and imagine if we are to go out in the community, not just preaching at people, but doing good works, and doing good works in the name of Jesus, and specifically mentioning the name of Jesus every time we have the opportunity. Because if this is what Jesus has done for us, doing good deeds for others is the least that we can do. But good deeds without the good news robs Jesus of that glory and our neighbors of that hope. So let's do good deeds and do it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's somebody here this morning and you need us. You need us to do good deeds for you. You need our help. You need our prayers. You're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. If there's any way we can help you this morning, now's a great opportunity to come forward. As together we stand and sing.